So yeah, good morning everyone. We are on week two of this 12-week equipping our course on discipleship. DRBC actually taught this course a couple years ago and Bill Deckert provided this outline, which is right up here for, for you to grab if you haven't already. It was very helpful uh, to me in preparing this lesson. Uh, so I'm just going to say a, a quick prayer before we begin. Um, Holy God, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, thank you for bringing us here together today, God. Um, thank you that we're in your house with your people and we're about to learn from your word. Um, God, we, we pray for this topic specifically, um, just that discipleship and uh, love for you and love for one another would be in our DNA, that it wouldn't just be something that we're thinking about on Sunday morning. Um, God, please help us to follow you and, and to help us to help others follow you. Um, in your name I pray. Amen. All right. So first, we're just going to do a quick recap of last week. Dan Mackett started this course uh, with lesson one, which was what is discipleship? So a few of you were here last week. So did, did anything stick out from last week? Do you guys remember uh, what is discipleship? Do you remember how we defined it? So discipleship is simply helping each other follow Jesus. Uh, that was kind of the, the brief definition that we used last week. Um, just one other question. Who, who is a disciple? Who is called to be a disciple? Do you all remember what we, what we talked about last week? Like followers of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Nail on the head, Mariah. So, yeah, all Christ followers. Something that Dan said last week that I really liked. Um, discipleship is not just following rules or being born into a Christian home, but following Jesus in all aspects of life. So, yeah, like Mariah said, all disciples of Christ are called to be a disciple. It's not just pastors, elders, deacons. It's not just those appointed as leaders in the church. So this week, uh, we're going to talk about the primary context where discipleship should happen, and that's a local church. So that, of course, that doesn't mean that you can't disciple in other settings, uh, your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, where people attend a variety of churches. But the primary sphere or pool of discipleship is in the local church, with those people who you have covenanted with. So our main idea this morning is uh, local churches are God's means of making disciples. The way that a church is set up, structured, organized is supposed to facilitate disciple making. And you can see we have uh, two subpoints on your outline. So the first one, theological reasons as to why this is the case. And the second point, uh, practical implications as to what discipleship looks like in the local church. So could I get two volunteers, uh, one each, to read the, the two listed passages? So we have Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Anyone want to read Matthew 28? Thanks. And then Hebrews 10? David. Thanks, man. Okay, yeah, if you could please read that, that first one, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Yeah, thank you. So we make disciples because God has commanded us to do so, and also because we want to make much of Christ. We want others to worship Christ, to grow closer to Christ. 
So on top of the command to go therefore and make disciples, which we also read and, and we talked about last week when Dan was teaching, there are two things in this text that imply the beginnings of a church. They imply that there should be the, the, it should be done within the context of a local church. So anybody have any thoughts on what these two things are? One starts with a B, the other starts with a T. <laughs> Boom. Baptism. Yeah, so who did Jesus give the authority to baptize? Do individuals have the authority to baptize in and of themselves? So the church has been given the authority to baptize. Jesus, in this text, the Great Commission, did uniquely commission these 12 men, the 12 apostles, and he gave them the authority to baptize. Then, throughout the New Testament, we see that the church has the authority to baptize. So one exception that I thought of may be like if you're alone on the mission frontier, no other Christians are out there, then you have no choice. You baptize. That No local church even exists. But the pattern that we see in the New Testament is that a church's consent should be involved in baptism. So it's not just the person being baptized making a public proclamation, but the church is also making a public statement. So what is the church saying when it baptizes a newly professing believer? Any thoughts on that? What are we saying? Jake? Yeah, man. So we're saying that they are with us. They're one of us. We approve this person, that this person professes to be a follower of Christ. The prereq of baptism is personal repentance and conscious faith in Christ. And we, as a church, are putting our stamp of approval on that person as a believer. So it's, it's a collective affirmation. So how can baptism, this public statement of faith, in the context of a local church, facilitate disciple-making? Any thoughts on that? How can baptism, this ordinance, facilitate disciple-making? So one way is that if a new, you know, a new brother or sister professes their faith, we can know that is my brother or sister in Christ. We are Christ's followers, and we will help each other follow Jesus together. We will help disciple one another. Um, okay, so what's the other word? What else do we see in this text that implies the context of a local church? Starts with a T. So, teaching. Boom. So, when new believers are baptized as disciples of Christ, they must be taught to observe everything that Christ has commanded them. So, teaching can, of course, happen outside the church. But the idea here is that disciples make disciples in the context where there is baptism and there's regular teaching of God's word. So believers are teaching the truth and assisting other believers in obeying God's command. So although it's not explicitly stated, this text, the Great Commission, implies that disciples should, discipling should happen in the context, group of believers, we have affirmed one another's faith with baptism, we are regularly teaching God's word um, to, to each other. So what we're seeing here in the Great Commission uh, is the building of the context of the local church. 
And these apostles did just that. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, they went on to lay the foundation of the church. Um, so our next passage was Hebrews 10, 23-25. If you go ahead and read that, please. Thanks, David. Um, so what are some words or phrases that we see in this text that may be included in discipling? What's that, Cody? Let us. Yeah. Yep, let us. Anything else? So, Mariah? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, encouraging each other. We see that in verse 25. Um, Watch out for one another. We see that in verse 24. Not neglecting to gather together. Um, So yeah, couple one another's here. Who is the one another? Yes. Yeah, so the, the one another here, members of a local church, not neglecting to gather together. Uh, verse 25. So here we see local churches that regularly gather together, that know each other, that are involved in each other's lives, and are regularly seeking to spiritually encourage and uh, do spiritual good to to each other. So the local church is God's primary means of making disciples. Bottom line. Um, Does anyone have something that may be helpful to add before we move into our first point? Okay, cool. So we'll go ahead and dive into point number one, theological reasons as to why the local church is God's primary means of uh, making disciples. Um, Local churches hold the authority to recognize disciples. You see that point A are uh, two texts, Matthew 16, 16 to 19, and Matthew 18, 15 to 18. So can we get two volunteers to be prepared to read these passages? Matthew 16, anybody? Eric, thank you, sir. And then Matthew 18, thank you. All right, so while you're turning there, um, think about the church structure and church government-related things that we read about in Acts and throughout, throughout the epistles. It can sound pretty boring, and one may ask, what does any of this have to do with discipleship? So Jesus gave us church structure and government, much like the ordinance of baptism, so that discipleship can be facilitated. The structure of a church should fuel discipleship. Um, Eric, if you could please read that, that first one, Matthew 16, uh, 16 to 19. Thank you. Yeah, so in this chapter, P- 
Peter professes his faith in Christ. Then Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. And then we see kind of a strange statement about keys. Uh, any thoughts on what these keys are referring to? So, um, some who are not theologically like-minded with the RBC have interpreted this to mean that Peter has the keys or the authority to admit people into heaven. So, I don't know if any of you have any of you have ever heard Saint Peter at the pearly gates. Uh, that's kind of where that comes from. He has the keys to let folks in and out of heaven. Others have said that Peter was the first pope. Um, both of those, I'd say, not accurate interpretations. One commentary that I read that was especially helpful said, we should understand this as Jesus giving both the permission and the authority to the first generation apostles to make the rules for the early church and indirectly the inspired writings that would guide all generations to Christians. So that's what we're referring to when, when we see the keys language. We see the beginning of this church structure and order. Um, so we already discussed that local churches affirm disciples' professions of faith through baptism. Local churches can also remove those professions of, of faith, um, remove affirmation of those professions. So, brother, if you could please read the Matthew 18 text, uh, 15 to 18. Thanks, man. So what is this passage about? So uh, church discipline, talking about church discipline here. So in church discipline, do we, the church, have the authority to definitively say that someone is not a Christian? We don't. Cody's shaking his head no. Yep. So, but... What does the church have the authority to say? We have the authority to recognize or affirm someone as a disciple in baptism. And if that person goes through this process and then they show themselves to be in sin and unrepentant, the church can withdraw its recognition or affirmation of this person being a follower of Christ. So the church is given the authority by Jesus to recognize who is and who is not a Christian. That does not mean that the church knows hearts. Nobody knows hearts but the Lord. Um, we're, we're not 100% sure that every single person in the DRBC directory is a Christian. But we can say that, based on everything we know and see as a church, this person is a Christian. Um, how does church discipline help discipleship? Any thoughts on that? Right. Yeah, exactly. Accountability. Um, so local churches, because they have been given the authority by Christ to recognize who is and who is not a disciple, local churches have authoritative accountability um, in members in each other's lives. 
So what does accountability look like in the context of a local church? Any thoughts on what that accountability may look like? So, in, do you have something, David? Just stretching? Yes. <laughs> yeah, man, exactly. So, yeah, in the context of being covenanted together, we're living and doing life together as friends and as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, we have the responsibility to say something if we see something. If we see things that are good, we should encourage one another. If we see sin, we should confront that individual and lovingly rebuke them as necessary. Also, to David's point about confession, so remember that there's also a role for accountability before you sin, before you slip and fall. Uh, so don't wait until your brother or sister is in trouble. Accountability and the confession of sin to each other should be a part of routine conversations with each other. While we're here, Sunday morning, and then also throughout the week. Um, so the church also has authority to recognize its leaders. In Acts 6, when the first deacons are selected, uh, seven men of good reputation, who chooses them? Who chooses those seven men? Yeah, yeah the, the, the church congregation chooses those men. DRBC is a congregational church. So the congregation has the authority to vote members in and vote members out. Likewise, it has the authority to vote its leaders in and out. So once a church is established, the normal pattern that we see in the New Testament is for a church to appoint its own leaders. Um, local church government provides structure for discipleship. You see point B. So we've already touched on this. The structure, government, order of a local church should facilitate disciple making. So now we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at the role of church membership and then also elders and deacons. Um, so membership involves being united around the gospel and core doctrines and a covenant to live the Christian life together. You see that subpoint. Uh, so church membership is a pretty big deal here at DRBC, but does the church explicitly say that you should be a member of a local church? Is church membership even biblical? Does anyone have any thoughts on that? So church membership is not explicitly commanded by name. Although it's not explicitly commanded, it's not even mentioned in the Bible by name, we see it implied throughout the entire New Testament. So Christians are committed to one another in local churches. We call that commitment church membership. Um, also, Matthew 18, 17. So if you're going to be removed from something, it implies that you belong to something. Matthew 18, 17 uh, said, if he, doesn't pay it, if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Remove him. So church membership is implied in church discipline as well. Um, so next we're going to take a look at our primary sphere of accountability. We can't hold all Christians accountable, but we can intentionally hold some Christians accountable. So how can having a church membership structure in our church help facilitate disciple-making? Our bandwidth is limited, our time is limited, and so knowing who 
Yeah, exactly, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, so it defines who we are responsible for. Um, we should love all Christians. We should encourage all Christians, those that we know at work, school, neighbors. Um, but church membership provides us the context in which we are to encourage each other and hold each other accountable on a more focused and sustainable scale. So I can't hold every Christian accountable, and not every Christian can hold me accountable. If we covenant together in local churches, that defines who we can do that with, to Dan's point exactly. Church membership is an aid to discipleship because it defines the people who we have committed to, who we have committed to believing the same things about the gospel, committed to the same core doctrines, committed to live the Christian life together, and committed to help each other routinely. So church membership isn't just something that we have so we can keep count of how many people are in the church. It's something that we have so we can narrow the, our field of local Christians that we commit to and disciple to. And we have authority in each other's lives because we've covenanted together. So if I've covenanted with you, um, if I've covenanted with, with Jake, because we're both members of DRBC, it's my business to know what's going on in Jake's life. And likewise, it's Jake's business to know what is going on in my life. So church membership helps us. It provides us a smaller sphere or pool for accountability and for intentional discipleship. Uh, so church membership and leadership are very closely related and both facilitate disciple moving, disciple making. We'll go ahead and move on to, uh, to leadership. Elders and deacons, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, teach, lead, serve, pray. You see that subpoint. Can someone turn to uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 and be prepared to, to read that? Josh, thanks. So Josh, while you're turning there, um, Hebrews 13 says that we are to submit to our leaders. Hebrew thir Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. And verse 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So in Hebrews 13, what leaders is the writer talking about here? Is it the preacher that you're listening to on the radio or the preacher that you ran into on the street that, that doesn't know you and that you don't know? It is, it is the elders of our local church, those that we have appointed to be our leaders. So membership is also applied in church leadership. Leaders are to give an account to God concerning the flock. Which flock? The people who have committed themselves to being under their care. Okay, uh, Josh, if you could please read Ephesians 4, 11 to 16.
Thanks, Josh. So DRBC has elders and deacons because the Bible prescribes it. You'll find the words elder, overseer, pastor throughout the New Testament. They all re refer to the same office. We have leaders, shepherds that are appointed watching over the flock. Um, what are some of these leaders' primary responsibilities? Any thoughts? Dave? Good. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that, Josh? Yeah. Teaching. Yeah. So their teaching helps disciple us. Uh, this is th this is what the Bible says about God. Uh, this is what the Bible says about all of our issues in the world today, about how we are to live. Their teaching helps us grow to be more like Christ. We also have prayer listed there, so elders are to devote themselves to the word and to prayer like we see in Acts 6. Elders in a unique way pray for the flock and teach the flock, and at Dave's point, they need, they need to know the flock. They also lead, so you'll see a list of qualifications in uh, 1 Timothy. Elders should be men that model what it means to live the Christian life. Elders are sinners, uh, but they model resisting sin and repenting of sin so are any of our elders super christians no no not even close so all of our elders struggle with sin all of our elders have their idols so a plurality a team of elders is decisive because they're all sinners and they need to help hold each other accountable um so does having elders, a plurality, a team of elders in a local church help discipleship in the church? Oh yeah, definitely. Deacons, quickly moving on to deacons. So what are deacons? How do deacons help facilitate discipleship? Any thoughts on deacons? So deacons, deacons take care of, of a lot of stuff. They take care of all the physical stuff. If you have needs, you have somebody to call. They remove certain responsibilities from the elders so that the elders have the space and time to teach, lead, serve, pray, and know the flock. DRBC has deacons. DRBC also has an administrative staff. Deacons take care of a ton of stuff. So children's ministry, community care, greeting team, hospitality, member care, ordinances, AV, finance, events, facilities, missions, Deacons take a ton of stuff off of elders' plates. In Exodus 18, we see Moses select leaders from among the people to lighten his load. And we see something similar in Acts 6. The church appointed the first deacons to help preserve unity in that church. If a local church is lacking unity, did the elders have the time to teach, lead, serve, and pray like they should? No. Um, so having a biblical church government helps discipleship. How DRBC functions should help you follow Christ, and it should help you help others follow Jesus. 
Jesus gave us this structure for a reason. Of note, um, also part of discipleship in the local church is corporate worship. So we'll have an entire lesson on that next week taught by Cody Volkers. So stay tuned. Um, Point C here, local churches are best equipped for discipleship. So I think that many Christians see the primary sphere or context of discipleship being in seminaries and being in parachurch organizations. So seminaries and parachurch organizations can definitely help, but they can't take the place of the local church. They don't have membership where you have covenanted together. They don't have elders or deacons. They don't have the authority to affirm one's profession through baptism or to remove affirmations of faith through church discipline. Just a quick story. Um, From 2012 to 2015, Sarah and I lived on Fort Stewart, Georgia. We were involved in a a parachurch ministry called the Navigators. Some of you are familiar with it. So in our estimation at the time, there were no solid churches in the area. So we got involved with the local NAVs. They were focused on discipling soldiers on Fort Stewart through the Post Chapel, um, through Bible studies, and other events. All Navigator ministries are different. They have different focus areas. Some are focused on military, colleges, workplaces, neighborhoods, local churches. They have different organizational structures and very different personalities that lead them, like, like any ministry. It was clear that the leaders, uh, a couple of this Navigator ministry, they love Jesus and they love people. They were dead serious about helping people grow spiritually, sharpening spiritual disciplines, and making spiritual generations. By God's grace, they were pretty effective. They were convicting, they were encouraging, but they weren't a church. Um, So the structure and accountability that a local church provides is unlike, in my limited experience, any parachurch organization. The church by design is uniquely equipped to make disciples. It's the healthiest context for disciple making. Seminaries, parachurch organizations are not inherently bad. That's not what I'm saying. But the best of them are local church oriented. DRBC supports a parachurch organization at Georgetown. It's led by Nick Nah, who is also a member here. So you may notice that the front several rows in the service every Sunday are filled with Georgetown students. DRBC supports campus outreach at Georgetown so heavily because they're oriented towards local churches. They're not just trying to do church on campus. They're getting students into local churches where there is the God-designed structure to facilitate discipleship and accountability. Um, So quick summarization of our first point. The theological reasons as to why local churches are God's primary means for making disciples. Those reasons include local churches have the authority to recognize who is and who is not a follower of Christ. Local churches have the authority to vote in and vote out members and their leaders. Elders teach, lead, serve, and pray for the church. Deacons uh, take care of physical needs and help facilitate unity in the church. Point one. Um, Anything I missed that would be helpful mentioning before moving into point two? Any, Any questions? Okay, cool. Let's do this. So, point two, practical implications. Um, What does discipleship look like in the church? So, we should prioritize relationships within the local church. It provides the best context to live out the one another's. You see that? Point A. The word prioritize implies more than one. 
it implies an order of importance. So you can, of course, have relationships with Christians that are not in the local church, uh, believers that you grew up with, co-workers, fellow students, neighbors, etc. But the priority of our discipleship relationships should be within the context where we have covenanted together, where we are saying that we're going to live this whole thing out together. Um, given the context of the local church that we have discussed, we should prioritize getting time together with fellow members in DRBC, getting to know each other and applying God's word to each other's lives. Um, how do some of you do that? Or how have you seen others do that well? Yep, a lot, of, a lot of small groups. Yep, a lot of one-on-one -on -one linking up throughout the week. Anything else? How you guys have seen this done well here? So, I personally appreciate the intentionality of many brothers in this church. Few of them are in this room. Um, and hanging out with brothers, sometimes it's alone. Uh, sometimes with family, kiddos are spinning around all over the place. Here are just a few of the questions that I've been asked. How has your time in the Word been? What are you reading and what has God been teaching you? Have you been able to prioritize time in prayer like you said you were going to work on? Have you had the chance to share the gospel with that specific coworker that you told me about? How has purity been? How are you and Sarah doing? Um, how has your response to your kiddos been? Are you still struggling with anger? Um, are, you still, are you still being impatient with them? So let's talk. Throughout the week, let's talk. Real talk. Let's be transparent. We have to. We can't keep sin in the dark. Let's help each other. Let's pray for each other. Because we have made a covenant together, we have a unique relationship that we don't have with other believers. There's a difference in our relationship. It's not in the outline, but could someone quickly turn and be prepared to read um, Acts 2, verses 37 to 47? Anybody willing to read those 10 verses? Cody, thanks, brother. So while, while Cody's turning there, uh, just a little bit of background, Acts 2. So the Holy Spirit rushes on the disciples. They go out into Jerusalem where there are people from every nation under heaven and Peter starts preaching. Um, right after he's done preaching, what do we see? Uh, so Cody, if you could go ahead and read, uh, yeah, verses 37 to 47.
and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thanks, man. So what do we see here? What happens when Peter's done preaching? So we see people believe and repent, get baptized, and get added to the local church. So we see it in that order. Then starting in verse 42, uh, Cody read, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So these people clearly spend a lot of time together. They're not just like, hey, Peter, great sermon. Thanks for baptizing me. I'll see you next Sunday. Um, the, these, these people are regularly involved in each other's lives. Uh, moving down to point B. So the local church provides a safe context of love. We can say and do things that hurt, but we must assume the best in the context of the local church. It's easier to assume the best motives. So has anyone here ever been hurt by something someone said uh, in the church? see a couple folks nodding their head yes so yeah if not it will likely happen at some point because it, it may be inevitable when sinners come together and we start doing life together words can hurt even if they weren't intended to hurt um, if we're in a church where we have covenanted together it gives us the benefit of assuming the best intentions of our brothers and sisters so a proper response to hurtful words may sound something like this they may have said something really dumb, but I'm going to assume that they didn't mean to offend me. Maybe they even said that because they love me as a fellow brother or sister in Christ. I'm going to go talk to them instead of assuming the worst and letting bitterness grow and build in my heart together. I'm just going to go confront them. We're going to talk about this. So when problems arise, there's an underlying assumption that we have love for one another. Um, e e even when there are problems, there's a context of love in which we can come together and work it out. Um, as, as we read earlier in Matthew 18, verse 15, if someone else is in the wrong, you have the responsibility to go and seek them out. Mimic what Christ did for you. In love, go to your family member or go to your fellow church member and seek to be reconciled with them. That should be, that should be our first response. Remember that you are both sinners at the foot of the cross, looking up at your Savior in need of forgiveness. Preserve unity within the church. Uh, point each other to Christ rather than letting bitterness and disunity draw us apart. Um, looking down to point C. So disciples need churches, not just you and me. Dan hit the nail on the head earlier. We all have limitations. 
So limited gifts, limited experience, limited knowledge, limited time. If I'm gonna to try to disciple you, I can tell you right now that I'm gonna have big gaps and limits where I am unable to help you. Um, or I'm just simply not the best one to help you in, in that particular area. So in this church, there are folks that have gifts, experiences, knowledge that complement mine. And I think it's okay to say, hey brother, go to this person. They might be able to help you in a way that I can. Or, like brother, check it out. I'm super busy this week. I am hardly sleeping, but I know another brother that has some time this week. Go to this guy. He's gonna be able to help you out. Um, he, he's gonna be able to step in this week. So the combined effort of a local church body can do a much better job of disciple making than just an individual. When we have a team of family working together, trying to invest in each other, that will make better disciples. Um, so we need each other. You could find that in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, yeah, we, we won't read it, but specifically 1 Corinthians 12 verses 12 to 27, you can see that we have all different gifts. Um, we are one body with many members. You see mention of uh, feet, hands, ears, eyes. Jesus, through his spirit, has given us a variety of gifts. But when we all work together, they form one body. Um, so we're going to have a little bit of group time, but you, you, can see, you can see that last point. So you don't have every gift or an infinite amount of time. You need others in the body to help you disciple. They don't just need you, they need a church. Again, text for that, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So anything I missed, any questions, anything that would be helpful to add? Okay, cool. Josh. Good, man. Thank you. Anybody else? Anything that would be helpful to add before we break up into our small groups? Okay, cool. So just kind of break up in small groups however y'all want. We're going to kind of hone in on point two, the practical implications. So yeah, we're just going to talk about... Um, what discipleship with other Christians at DRBC may look like for you in the coming weeks. So some tangible ways as to what this will look like for you. What are some ways that you can be mindful and intentional about discipleship with brothers and sisters here? What are some ways that you can do spiritual good to one another? Um, so go ahead and break up. We'll do that for like maybe six, seven minutes. We'll come together. 
Uh, we'll just kind of go around the room and see, see what y'all's thoughts are, and then we'll close in prayer. Uh, thank you.
All right, everyone. So we have uh, we have about six minutes left before it's ten o'clock. So we're just going to kind of quickly come back together, and then I'm going to ask if someone would be willing to close us out in prayer. So, thoughts from the group. What are some tangible ways in the coming weeks that you can be more mindful and intentional with brothers and sisters here at DRBC? What are some ways that you can do spiritual good to one another? Any just examples of of what everyone talked about. Yeah, thanks, brother. Just taking advantage of even brief slivers of time that we have with brothers and sisters, being intentional, even with those small windows. Um, any other tangible ways we can focus on discipleship in the coming weeks? Eric? good thank you yeah I personally could definitely apply that one a lot better any other thoughts
it's when they're not, when it's not there, it's said, and it's not really felt or typically yeah. believed on. Um, so I think that, that having that fellowship, you can't really give to somebody that you don't yet possess yourself. So uh, just a reminder to stay close to the board. Yep. Now, those are both really good, your own personal disciplines. So prayer, needless to say, is exceedingly powerful. And that's an understatement. And then, yeah, ensuring that you are disciplined with your own time and the words so that you have meat to give, you have fellowship, you have, you can help someone discipleship, you can help point them closer to Christ based on your own time and the word. Both of those are definitely decisive. Thank you. Um, okay, so we got two minutes left. So I'll just go ahead and ask if someone would be willing to close us in prayer. Jake, go for it, man. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this morning that you have given to us. Thank you for Delray and how we get to uh, covenant together and get to encourage each other as um, uh, as we wait for your final return. And I pray that as we're encouraging one another, we would be glorifying you and seeking to live out the commands you give us. Um, sacrifice uh, that um, Christ made on the cross for us and how we as a result get to enter into a new family.